0: Thank you, Meg. I could just sit here for an hour and listen to that. Just. That's what I do for study music when I have to study because I can't concentrate. Sometimes I have to just play music, instrumental music. Lyrics confuse and distract me. Well, thank you this morning for allowing me to preach. I don't know you might not be thankful an hour from now, but uh, an hour? Are you gonna preach that long? I don't know. We'll see. Um, but Dar- Darren gave me a subject to preach on a, a Mark Dever's book, and it's about preaching. And I, I told Adam what it was, and it's like, Oh, you're preaching about preaching. Is that meta preaching? <laughs> and I was like, Well, yeah, I guess kind of. <clears throat> and it was like, How do you preach about preaching without selling self glorious? <laughs> oh, you got to listen to the preacher because he's the smart guy. You know. But what do you come to church, when a visitor comes to church, what's the first thing they see? What do they think of when they see here? When you come into the church, what's the first thing that somebody saw this morning? They saw the parking lot. Was the parking lot plowed or not plowed? They didn't see the grass because, well, it's covered up this morning. Is the parking lot and the sidewalk plowed? Is it clear? Is it too slippery? What's the building look like? Oh, it's brick. Okay, it's brick. They don't have to worry about the paint job. Then they come in. What do they look at? What's the first thing you see? You see the carpet. You see the lighting. You see the paint on the walls. Is it new paint? Is it dirty paint? Does the walls need washed? Are there holes in the walls? Sometimes that's not the first impression people have the church these days. Because if you're visiting and you're going to another town, what's many of us do, what's the first impression when you go to go to someplace new? What's the first thing you look up? Their web Their webpage. So the first impression somebody may get of this church is their website, their Facebook page, whatever other pages, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever other pages they have, is that. That's the first impression they have. What's on the website? What is this website? Is it easy to navigate? Can you read it? Do they pick colors and backgrounds that that you can't read? You ever go to websites you can't read them because they the 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 color of the font and the background all blend together and you can't read it you know maybe that's the first impression they get of your church is your facebook your web page is that a good thing or a bad thing is that what church is all about you say well that's not what church is about it's not about the building it's not about the, the 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 website it's about people you're right it is about people did you talk to somebody new today? Is there anybody new? Can you say definitely that we have a visitor here today or not have a visitor today? How well do church members treat each other? How well do we treat each other? Well, it's, it's not just that. It's, it's about, you know, it, it, well, you think, how well do we treat each other? As you look around this building, big word alert, are we homogeneous? <laughs> are we all the same? As you look around, are we all the same race? Are we all from the same social economic class? Are we all the same age? Are we interge- multi-generational? Does that matter? I think it does. I was I One of the times the army sent me around, I went and visited a church. I was only there for two weeks, so I only got to go to church once while I was there. And I went to a church and except for the music minister and his family i was the youngest person in the building everybody else was 60 70 plus including the pastor he was a retired missionary and the most prominent feature of the church was the cemetery around the outside of the building and they were praising the music minister because he had went through the previous saturday and they had done something with organizing uh, some records for the cemetery And they were happy that he did that. Is that the most important thing about the church? Well, it's about the worship service. It's about the music we play. It's about the instruments that we have. Do we play hymns or modern choruses? Or do we only sing psalms? Do we sing old hymns with new music? What instruments do we use? Are we allowed to use the drums or not allowed to use the drums? Well, is that, Or do we use instruments at all? There are churches that don't use any instruments. Does that matter? Does it matter how we take up the offering? Do we pass the plate or do we have a, a basket on the end of a stick that goes down the aisle? Or do we make you all come up and do it up front? I've been to churches that did that too. Do the offering. You have to all come up front and everybody has to put it in the plate up here. The plates just stay here. You'll have to come up and put it in there. In the past, we've had it. You you go in the back. You just do it as you leave. <laughs> just put it in the in the slot in the in the box in the back. Does that matter? Do you put do the announcements first or last? How many songs do we do? Where do we put the offertory in there? Do we have a special music song? That used to be a big deal in Baptist churches. It still isn't some. Does that matter? Well, everything I've described so far. I could be talking to any number of churches. I could be talking about a Lutheran church. I could be talking about a free Baptist or a peculiar Baptist. Do you know the difference between those? I could be talking about a modern Mennonite service. I could be, could I be talking to a Mormon service, a Jehovah Witness service? Probably. There's nothing I said that's distinct between any of those. But do we know the difference? What's the difference? Well, our theology is different. We believe different about God between us and Mormons or Jehovah's Witness. You're right. Theology is the difference. But how do you find the theology of the church? Well, go to the website. There's a statement of faith there. Well, You're right. Ours does have it. Do you know what our statement of faith is? Have you ever read it? Do you know where to find it? We're kind of slacking there. I just went back in there. Our information building back there, and there is no statement of faith back there. <laughs> we don't have one. But it is in our church constitution, I do know that. Can you find our statement of faith? Do you care what our statement of faith is? And there's one other place to find out where your statement of faith is it's right here on Sunday morning from the pulpit, is where your statement of faith comes from every week. Because I've been to churches, you can't necessarily guarantee that the Sunday school teachers are preaching the same thing that the, the preacher is. There are churches where the Sunday school teachers and the preacher don't line up. You know, I'm not saying which one's the right one, but they don't always line up. So what's the difference between a godly sermon and a TED Talk? How can you distinguish between a godly sermon, a seminary lecture, or just an interesting conversation or a monologue? You know, many people are inspired by Oprah. Ronald Reagan and Winston Churchill in their days were considered great and powerful speakers. Elon Musk, for all his great business savvy and sense, is an awful public speaker. I've I've watched him on YouTube. You know, he does something. He's terrible at public speaking. I'm a big fan of SpaceX, okay? I like watching SpaceX. Their capsule just landed yesterday for the second time. Apollo never did that. Then there's the great preacher, Jonathan Edwards. He preached in New England about 300 years ago. Through his preaching, you may have heard his most famous sermon is Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Between that sermon and others, he led a great spiritual awakening in America, a great revival. History books call it the first great awakening. When he preached... People would cry out in conviction from the Holy Spirit about the words as the words that he said. A powerful speaker. Yet this is how he preached. History reports that he read his sermon from a pre written script in a monotone voice while rarely making eye contact with his congregation. Yet this man people cried out under conviction of the Holy Spirit during his sermons. This is one sign of a godly preacher preaching from Scripture with the power of the Holy Spirit. Yet this preaching class flunky started a revival because of his godly preaching. Imagine, you want me to preach that way the whole rest of the sermon? <laughs> I can if you want me to. And I didn't do so well in preaching class. Preaching professors kept saying, you have lots of room for improvement. Because if speaking ability was a sign of being a godly preacher, God made a mistake in putting me up here. Because as I told the youth class this morning, the only F that I ever got in all of high school was in speech class. <laughs> I was so terrified about going up. My five-minute speech lasted... 45 seconds, and I didn't say anything worthwhile. I just kind of babbled. And as I'm preaching, I'll stumble over my words. I'll be awkward at times. That does not make a godly sermon or not a godly sermon. Now, should I endeavor to be better? Yeah. I'm not going to look at my script the whole time and read in monotone voice. But that's not what makes a godly preacher is his speaking ability. So what is it? If church is not about the buildings and grounds, if church is not about the members, if church is not about the order of service, if church is not about the speaking ability of the preacher, then what in the world is church about? That's why the big idea today, God, the creator of the universe, is the center of your worship. Scripture is the center of knowing God and what he has done for you. Scripture is the center of knowing God's will for your life. We're going to read from the scripture today. We're going to read a lot. I put a post-it note where on the scriptures I'm going to read today. We're going to start in 2 Timothy. So turn to your Bibles and please stand with me as we read God's Word today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. It's a familiar scripture, but I'm going to read a little bit longer today than the part that you're used to. It's page 996 in the Pew Bibles. 2 Timothy chapter 3 starting in verse 14, and I'm going to read down into chapter 4. In verse 14, it starts. It goes like this. But as for you, continuing what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing for whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God, of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Lord God, we just come to you now. We come to you to worship you through your scripture, through your holy word. I pray that these are not my words that be spoken, but your words, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit will be working on the hearts and minds and lives of each person in this room, including myself. You are the mighty God. Help us come to you now and worship you in service and in love. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Do we read this. This is from the book of Second Timothy. Paul wrote this letter to the person, a man named Timothy. You read, you find Timothy when you read through Acts. You'll see Timothy is involved in places. But did he write this to Timothy, the preacher, or to you, the congregation? Did he write to me as a preacher, to Darren? Nathaniel and other people here, or Derek, others who are studying in seminary, Derek and Derek. <laughs> and others? Did he write to them? Well, yes, all of the above. Well, what's the point? What did he say? He said there in verse 15, "You have been acquainted with the sacred writings." This is the sacred writings. Do you treat them as sacred? Now, I'm not talking about how the Muslims treat it. If the Muslim, you have to wash your hands p- properly before you can even pick up a Quran. And the Quran is only one that's in Arabic. If it's in English, it doesn't count as the Quran. It's just a, a a commentary. And they, when when they take it home and they leave, it, they they put it in a box. It's always in a box. It's and nothing is stacked on top of it. They don't set it on the floor. They don't set their coffee cup on top of it. <laughs> okay. I'm not talking about that. Do you treat the writings, do you treat the words in here as sacred? Because they are sacred. You go clear to the last book of the Bible, the last chapter of the last book in Revelation, chapter 22. It says, I warn you, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. Is he talking about just the book Revelation, or is he talking about the whole book? Well, I think when he, John wrote it, he was thinking Revelation, but since it's been put in the Bible... Since it's part of our scripture, he's talking about the whole scripture. This scripture, every word of it is sacred. Don't add to it. You say, well, I never add anything to it. Well, sometimes we do. Well, God says this, but, well, I believe that God would, we add to it. Or we subtract from it. Well, that was for them. That really doesn't apply to us now. I don't have to do that part. You think, well, we don't do that, yeah, we do. Even in the church we do. You know me me in, you're guilty you know through my preach, how often do we preach about divorce? How often do we preach about greed and lust? Oh, sure, we preach about the sins that they do out there sometimes. but how often do we preach about the things that we're doing personally? Is honesty on your tax forms important? Is that a godly thing? Is your attitude while driving a godly thing? Are the words that you use a godly thing? Does it matter? Scripture is sacred. Going the other way, all the way back to the Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Page 152, if you want to follow along. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land the Father swore to give you to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Well, that's about Israel. That's not about us. Does God humble you today? Does, in your humbleness and the trials that you face, or we do you find out what's in your heart? How do you react to bad news, to bad situations? How do you? I always hate those Facebook memes. Like today is Slap a Stupid Person Day, and everybody goes, Amen. Yeah, I want to do that. Time out. That's not what God's Word preaches. God says, Love them, not slap them. verse 3 and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the lord wait a minute that's no i thought jesus said that he did when he was tempted by satan in matthew chapter 4 but he was quoting deuteronomy scripture is sacred so that, so that man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Where, what words come from the mouth of the Lord? These words that are in here. These come from the mouth of the Lord. You flip back one page in Deuteronomy chapter 6. chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Wait a minute, I thought Jesus said that. He did that too. Jesus liked the book of Deuteronomy. And these words that I command you today shall be in your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk with them when you sit in their house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands, they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Scripture is so sacred; it should be everywhere. You should literally, the Jews literally do this. Sometimes you see if they were, you see them wearing a little thing and they have a little pouch on their forehead. It's a pouch that has Scripture written in. It. it actually has this very verse written inside it. They literally put it on their forehead, or they tie it to their arm. And if you go to a Jewish person's house, it would be a box on the door po- on the on the doorpost. And that's the scripture is inside that box. It says, write it on your doorpost. And they do it literally. Or there's scripture in your house. There's a scripture coming out of your mouth. Because it says it's so important that you need to teach your kids and your grandkids. Well, how can you teach something you don't know? Now, every teacher knows sometimes you know it five minutes before the students do. <laughs> if you ever taught a class, sometimes you're cramming for the class itself. That's okay. You're still learning. I'm okay with that. It's not ideal, but you're still learning. Scripture is sacred. It affects every area of your life. What else did Timothy say? Paul say to Timothy? He said it is good for training in righteousness. Well, that goes back to right what we just read in It says training. Train your kids. When? When you're walking down the street. It didn't say driving in your car, but it applies. Driving in the car, when you're eating food, when you're getting ready for bed, when you're getting up in the morning. Now, does that mean you have to have a special time of of worship? Maybe. Or maybe it's just about life. You know, when your kids are complaining about what happened at school, do you bring the Bible into it? When the kids are fighting with each other, do you bring Scripture into it? Is your answer scriptural? Even if it's out of anger and says, you better sit down or else is your or else coming from God? Is it coming from Scripture or in your own pain and agony and misery? Your own angst? It says in everything that you do, it comes from Scripture. Training in righteousness. That's what the whole Sermon on the Mount is. Matthew chapter 5 through 7. I'm not going to read the whole thing right now. But that's what that whole is. I mean, you think about what the Sermon on the Mount is. It starts off with Beatitudes. What is a godly attitude? How to deal with when you're making a sacrifice and you realize that you, you've got a problem with somebody? What to do with, or when a Roman soldier, or an enemy, says, Here, you carry my backpack for the next mile? What's your attitude should be? What's your attitude against your personal enemies? What's your attitude in prayer? What's your attitude in fasting? What's your attitude in forgiving? What's the attitude about your treasures, your money? What's your attitude about anxieties, about judging, about prayer? The end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. I didn't put a post-it note for that one. Then you have to wait for me as I flip through. At the end, Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock, who hears these words of mine, these words, these scripture words. It's like building your house. You've seen foundation houses without bad foundations. You may have lived in some of them you're walking, all of a sudden you're going downhill. Doors don't close right. Windows don't work. Cracks in the wall. Leaning Tower of Pisa. Buildings with bad foundations don't last. Tower of Pisa is being held up by steel cables. Training in righteousness builds a solid foundation for you, your family, your life your Sunday school class, the people you work with. It's training in righteousness. It's in here. This is your training. Paul goes on and says, it's equipping for every good work. As you read through Paul's letters, you talk he talks about the armor of God. He has instructions for husbands on how to treat your wives and wives how to treat your husbands and parents on how to treat your kids and kids how to treat your parents. Slaves, how to treat your slaveholders and owners, how to treat your slaves, how you should work. There's instructions for teachers and for elders and for everyday people on how to treat the teachers and elders. Jesus taught about money. He taught about pride. He talked about heaven. He talked about hell. He talked about marriage. He talked about sin. He talked about salvation. They're all in this equipping manual. Yeah, we buy the little thingy from Ikea or wherever or Kmart and we try to put it together. And some people read the instructions and some don't. We're not talking about a bookshelf. That really doesn't matter. That will fall apart the first time you move it. Because those particle board bookshelves, they don't move well. (laughs) We have a computer desk at home. We moved it from upstairs to downstairs. And when, when and if we ever move out of that house, it We'll go to the trash because it won't move again. (laughs) It'll fall apart. It'll lean to at the moment. As long as it doesn't move, it's okay. But you are more than a particle board piece of furniture. This is your manual for equipping. Well, I don't know what to do. What's in here? need to start reading it. And that comes, there are two methods to make Scripture holy. I have two methods for making Scripture holy in your life. Method one, read it yourself. Method two, listen to godly preaching. Make Scripture holy. Method one, read Scripture for yourself. Read the Bible for yourself. We have free Bibles. These Bibles that look just like this in the pews, if you don't have one, take one. That's what they're there for. There are free apps for your phone, for your tablet, for your computer to get Scripture in multiple translations. Read it for yourself. This is not Scripture. Can it be helpful? Yes. Now, in there, it tells you Scripture to read. Up there on the little top, it says, if you want to read through the Bible, read these chapters. Do you do that? If you're doing that, that's good. But if all you're reading is a little blurb that's here, that's not Scripture. And I'm not saying it's bad words, that they're preaching heresy or anything, but that's not Scripture. This book is not Scripture. No, I'm not saying throwing them all out. Just be understanding what this is and what this is not. If all you read is this blurb here, that's not a devotional, that's not Scripture. It's good words, but it's not Scripture. Read Scripture for yourself. It comes out of this one. You can read it off your phone. I don't care. You can do that. Pick your translation. Pick the size font you want. Read it for yourself. You say, well, where do I start? Well, my short answer is I don't care. <laughs> Just start. <laughs> but if you say a good part, the Gospels are a good place to start if you've never read before. Read the four Gospels in some order. Genesis is not a bad place to start either. But just start. Well, some of you made a resolution and said, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. Awesome sauce. But did you already miss some days? Are you frustrated? Have you given up? It's like, oh man, I've already missed three days. I mean, it's only the 14th and I'm I'm already a week behind. Here's my godly advice. So what? Pick up where you left off and just keep going. What happens if you take that one-year Bible reading plan and it takes you 18 months? So? So? What if it takes you two years? Big deal. You've never read through the Bible before. It took me two years to do a one-year Bible reading plan. Hallelujah. Don't quit. Did you read more this year than you did last year? That's your goal. If you currently read one verse per day, make it a goal to read a paragraph of verses a day. Make it your goal to read more than you did before. If you only read your Bible on Sundays, make it a goal to read two more days this week. Make it a goal to read more than you did before. Don't try to match somebody else. Oh, I I read three chapters of the Old Testament and two chapters of the New Testament. I read a psalm every day. Hallelujah. That doesn't have to be you. Don't compare yourself to that person. Compare yourself to you. Are you reading more than you did before? I've never read through the Bible before. So what makes you think you can do it in one year now? It may take you longer than a year. That's okay. I've read through the whole Bible, but I've never done it systematically. I've always hop, skipped, and jumped around. It's like, I'm going to read through the minor prophets now. Okay, then I take a few months and I read through the minor prophets. Oh, I'm just going to read Psalms for now, and I'll read Psalms. I've read them all, never in order, but I've read them all. Some of them are, you know, some I've read more often than others. I've read through the Gospels much more than I've read through any other part, probably. I can't say that I've read Leviticus many times. (laughs) That's a tough one. But just do it. Get started. Don't quit. And if you miss a day, it's okay. Repent. Pick up where you left off. I'm sorry, God, that I missed yesterday. Help me to do it today. The first step in making Scripture holy is to read it yourself. The second step in making Scripture holy is to listen to godly preaching. To godly preaching. So how do you know if a preacher is godly? How should you react to sermons to include this one in a godly way? Well, my answer is to act like the Bereans. The who? (laughs) Acts chapter 17. It begins with Paul and Silas Or in the city of Thessalonica. We get the book of Thessalonians from that. Paul wrote a letter to those people later on. Well, persecution broke out. And the house that Paul and Silas were staying in got broke into, and the owner of the house got hauled off to court and publicly beaten. Paul wasn't there at the time, so he missed out on all that fun. That's all right, he got it in other times and other places. And they said, you need to leave town. And even the church said, you need to go before they do something bad to you. So Paul and Silas left, and they went down the road to the town of Berea. And in Berea, Scripture says this. It says, Now the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Do you take notes during the sermon? Then go home and verify that the preacher is preaching God's word rightly to include this one. Do you call, email, or go, or go visit their home and verify and, and whoever is preaching and ask them questions? Or text. I'll take text too. Do you discuss the sermon with your friends and family in small groups? The Bereans did this, and they were called noble for it. Can you tell the difference in theology between Jux Swindoll and Joel Olstein? Can you tell the difference between John MacArthur and Benny Hinn? Can you figure it out by listening to their sermons? Do you care? Do you want to know? You may not know today, but do you want to know the difference? Do you want to learn the difference? Because you may not know, and it's not a sin not to know. It was like when my kids were little, the sin was not making the mess in the house. The Sin was not cleaning up the mess. Because <laughs> we I'm a klutz. I make messes all the time. I get done eating, I got food all over my shirt. <laughs> when I had a beard, I had it in my beard too. I'm a slob when it comes to eating. The sin is not making it. Sin is failing to clean it up. When somebody says, you got something there, do I wipe it off or do I just ignore them? It's okay not to know. But do you try to learn? Do you care? Is Scripture sacred enough for you to care how Scripture is preached or taught? Well, you ask, well, how do I start caring? The longest chapter in the Bible is dedicated to God's Word, the Holy Bible. The longest chapter is? Psalms 119. We just read from it a little bit earlier. That whole chapter is about God's Word. All 176 seventy-six, one hundred seventy-six verses, I believe. Yep. All 176 verses is about God's Word. Because I don't believe you. Chapter, verse one, chapter 1, Psalm 19, verse 1 says, Blessed are those who are blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Go down to verse 9. How can a man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 17, how do you deal bountifully with your servant that I may leave and live and keep your word? Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Give give me life according to your word. 41, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. How do you know what his promise is? It's written down here in his word. Verse 49, remember your word to your servant in which you have have made me hope. You find hope in God's word. Verse 57, the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. Can you make that promise? To keep God's words? Verse 65, you have dealt with your servant, O Lord, according to... To your word, I can keep going. As you notice, everyone, I read the first verse of each section. Each section has those weird word there at the top: Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalit, Vav. Those are the heap words, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. If you read this in Hebrew, every verse in that section would start with that letter. So, verses one through eight, every verse starts with a word, and the first letter of that word is Aleph called an acrostic so not only did he write a psalm of 176 verses he took the time and effort to put into a poetic form called an acrostic so that he honored each letter of the all 22 letters or so of the hebrew alphabet and made a, each letter honor god's word so if you want to the letters of the hebrew alphabet is just read psalm 19 and they're all listed there for you and it's beginning in hebrew Scripture is sacred. Pray that you desire to read it. Pray that you will meditate on it. You read through Psalms 19, it talks about meditation, meditating on God's Word. Pray that you will make it a priority to read it, because we do what's a priority in our lives, don't we? You want me to how I could really make you feel uncomfortable? I could come to your house and say, let me look at your weekly calendar tell me what you've done with every hour of your day for the past week. That would make some of you very uncomfortable. It would make me very uncomfortable having to tell that to you. Because I don't honor God every hour of the day sometimes. Some of my habits I need to fix. Because I might spend an hour just playing Sudoku on my phone. (laughs) That doesn't honor God very well. We, We do what's a priority to us. Make it a priority to read it. You can read it in the morning to start your day. You can read it in the night as the last thing you do before you go to sleep. You can read it over your lunch break. You can read it in bed. You can read it at the breakfast table. You can read it on the couch. You can, sit, you can read it sitting in your car in the parking lot. You know, not while you're driving. You can read it at your desk at work during your break. Don't still do your job. Just read it. Don't quit reading it because Scripture is sacred. Since Scripture is sacred to you personally, then that makes it sacred to your pastor too. So when you're thinking about your pastor, the person who's preaching, because it may be the radio preacher, it may be the TV preacher, it may be the church you're visiting because you're on vacation or visiting relatives, is the preacher, is the Scripture his source for training in righteousness? I pray yes. Does he use Scripture to be equipping, to equip in every good work for himself and for his congregation? I pray the answer is yes. Does he use Scripture as his source for knowledge? Or does he use other magazines and books and culture? I pray he uses Scripture. Does he use all Scripture, or does he skip and just pick the ones he likes and avoids and ignores others? It kind of irks me sometimes. I've, I've sat in churches where they have a sermon series on a book of the Bible, but they skip and they don't preach every verse. They kind of skip around. They don't cover every topic that's in that chat in that book. It's like, why are we missing that part? Now, if it's genealogy, I get it. <laughs> but I'm talking about other word, other scriptures. Does he preach about promises and blessings and prosperity while avoiding scripture that talks about sin, pride, and humbleness before our Lord? I pray no pray he preaches all, all scripture. Does he only preach about the sins of the world but avoids the sins inside the church? I pray no. Does he preach about heaven but avoids hell? I pray no. Does he preach to make you feel good about yourself without ever preaching about the sins that are in your heart? I pray no. What did it say in Timothy. It says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, and that the man of God may be competent, equipping, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God, of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. With complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itchy ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off. Godly preaching does not always feed you. Godly preaching does not always bless your heart. Godly preaching convicts your soul of sin. Godly preaching asks you to sacrifice your worldly desires for holy desires. Godly preaching comes from the scripture, not from the news. Godly preaching makes sacred scripture, not American culture. Godly preaching challenges your thoughts, your habits, your traditions, and your culture. Godly preaching benefits God, not the church building, not the pastor, and not you. Godly preaching is worshiping God the Father and creator of all. Godly preaching praises Jesus of Nazareth, the one and only Son of God who died with and was resurrected for your salvation and his glory. Godly preaching understands that the preacher must be full of the Holy Spirit to be effective. Godly preaching understands and knows that the Holy Spirit must be at work in the hearer's hearts and lives to be effective. The Holy Spirit has to be alive and working in you just as much as it is in me to be effective you may ask, Nelson, now you're just spouting stuff off without Scripture. Where is the Scripture that's sacred, that Scripture is sacred in the preaching? In Second Kings chapter 22, King Josiah had ordered that the temple be re- remodeled, actually be restored, because it hadn't been reused for about 50 years. And in fact... The temple had been come into such disrepair that they couldn't even find a copy of the scriptures. It was lost. Nobody had read a Bible in years because they couldn't find one. It's not like today where we have how many copies in this room right now. They couldn't find one. When they're remodeling and restoring the temple, they found one. It was hidden behind, underneath something. I don't know what, but they found it in the rubble of the, of the unkept temple. And they took it to the king. And the king took his royal robes and tore them in mourning because they had neglected the word of God. He says, well, that's not preaching. And what did he do about it? In 2 Kings 23, 1, he says, Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with them all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests, and the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant. He made a promise. What did he promise? He made a promise before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul and to perform the works of this covenant that were written in this book. Have you made such a covenant? Have you said, I am going to keep the words of the Bible, all of them? And you say, well, that's not preaching. That's just making a covenant. You're right. The king made a promise to make Scripture sacred and to follow them. King Josiah died. His sons were not godly men. Israel was conquered and overthrown by Babylon. Seventy years later, people start trickling back into Jerusalem. And we read about that in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, them coming back, trying to rebuild, the literally rebuild the temple now, because now it had been completely demolished, it was destroyed, rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And we read in Nehemiah that Nehemiah had told Ezra, get ready, we're going to read God's word. Nehemiah had a podium built in the city, and he gave every, all the workers a day off. He made the day holy. And Ezra and a bunch of the other priests and Levites got up and they spent all day reading God's word and explaining God's word. Sounds like a sermon to me. <laughs> and how did the people react? They cried. They said some raised their hands, some bowed their heads, some got on the ground, but they were crying. And finally, the priest, they had to say, people, this is our joyous day. Get up, wipe your tears away, have a feast, share with others. This is a holy day to hear God's word. Because some of them had never heard the actual words of God before. They'd only heard stories. Do you, do you treat this Bible so holy that you care about hearing it? Do you make it a priority to read it? Do you make it a priority to hear it being taught? The people honor God by listening. Ezra honored God by preaching. Nehemiah, a politician, honored God by arranging for the pulpit to be built and making the day holy for the people and being there himself. God's holy scripture was the center of that day. Some come to Sunday worship just for the fellowship. You know, I'm blessed by your presence, and I miss that blessing when you're absent. Some come solely for the music. We are called to sing joyfully to the Lord. Not sing well, just sing joyfully. I was singing along with the praise team while they were rehearsing, and my musician son back said I was not in the wrong key. Thankfully, the Bible doesn't say you have to be on key. Some some it just to give an offering because they're thankful for God for their material blessings. All these are important. All these are worship. None of these are wrong unless they're by themselves. And some come for the sermon. Scripture is sacred. That's the reason the Baptist service is built around the sermon. Scripture is sacred. That is the reason this pulpit is here in the front, in the center. Because that's where God's word is. Before the Reformation, the pulpit, and in some churches, the pulpit is over here, off to the side in the corner. And They don't even call this, it's just a little homily. It's just a a, a tiny piece of the service, not the center of the service. Baptists, we say God's word is the most important, because that's where we learn about God. It's front, it's center. That's why this is here. Literally, that is why it's here not over there in the corner, on the, on, off to the side. It's here, because this is how we know God. Without Scripture, we do not know about salvation. Without Scripture, you, we have nothing to sing about. Without Scripture, we have no commonality for fellowship. Without Scripture, you know nothing about God. Without Scripture, you do not know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Without Scripture, you do not know that the Holy Spirit working in your heart and your mind Without Scripture, you do not know the way to heaven. Without Scripture, you are doomed for hell. You are nothing without God, without the God described in Scripture. Without Scripture, the preacher is only an orator. Without Scripture, the preacher is only teaching from his own experience. Without scre- Scripture, the preacher has no words for salvation. Without Scripture, the preacher has no strength from God. Without Scripture, the preacher is no better than an infomercial spokesperson. Brother Derek read earlier from Psalms 119 and verse 97. I'm going to say it again, but I'm going to say it as a prayer. Pray with me. "Oh, Oh, how I love your law, God, in my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. Oh God, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouthful. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Lord God, help us to worship you. Lord, I pray for the preachers of this church that we will preach your scripture. I pray, Lord, that you will teach these people to understand scripture, so that they can see a godly scriptural man versus one that is just preaching into the wind. Help us to want godly sermons and not just sermons that make us feel good to our itching ears. You are the mighty God. Help us to love and to serve you. Help us to make scripture sacred. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.